0: Thanks so much, Ben. You can uh, you can grab a seat. Well, welcome along. Thanks, Tab. Welcome along to Beyond Church tonight. Uh, if this is uh, your first time uh, or you snuck in late and you missed it, my name is Chris, and we're really excited to have you here with us at Beyond. And just before we uh, launch in and before we get started, for those of uh, you who are regulars here with us, we just want to make a special announcement that on, on Saturday, May the 7th, we're having uh, our first ever Go Beyond initiative. We're launching that. Uh, that's really a day for us to actually go beyond as a community. We believe here as a church that we are spiritual contributors, that, that the church is not a building, that we actually, the people, are the church so we would love to invite you, if you know someone uh, in your, maybe in your world, in your workplace, in your community that's struggling, uh, maybe they're a single mom or a single dad, or maybe they're just having some, some difficulties putting food on the table, we would love uh, to hear from you about them and, and find out how we can serve them. Maybe we could cook them some meals or maybe we could just go over and, uh, and help cut their grass or help them move some things around in the house that they haven't had time to do. Uh, alternatively, if you'd love to serve with us on that morning, it's, it's gonna be for a couple of hours, uh, when the guys get up at the end to uh, give you the blurb, they'll give you more details, but we'd love to invite you. If you've got a few hours to land, if you've got an hour to land, or if you maybe don't have any time, you've got some power tools that you'd like to, uh, for some of the teams to use, we would love to uh, invite you to just touch base with everyone at the Connect desk after the service. I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes I go through periods of uh, the day or you know, only for a couple of minutes where I don't actually remember what I'm doing and I don't realise how I got there. Uh, this is really scary when you're driving a car. If you've ever had this happen to you, you're kind of just driving home, you're tired, and you're like, hang on a minute, how did I get here? Did I run that red light? Like, what, was there something going on behind me? And this was, um, this happened to, to me this week. I didn't run a red light because I didn't know where I was going, but uh, my wife and I, I was sitting at home uh, one night and we're just watching TV, and uh, sometimes TV can be like YouTube. You get onto YouTube and you start watching the video and then all of a sudden it's half an hour later and you don't know how you got uh, onto the video of this squirrel like running around, like chasing the dog, but somehow you're there and you're watching it. And on, uh, on this particular night during the week, uh, my wife and I got onto this show that we never ever watched. I don't know how we got onto it, but we ended up watching Married at First Sight. And I was sitting there and I was watching this show and I got really engrossed and then I thought to myself like, how did we get onto this channel? Like, we don't ever watch this show. Like, what, what brought us to this point? But we're watching this show, uh, Married at First Sight. And for those of you who don't know much about the show, it's, it's kind of a, I don't want to say a sham wedding, but it's not a legally binding marriage. Uh, so, so, but, but couples who have never, ever seen each other before until the, the moment that the bride walks down the aisle, stick their hands up for this experiment, they call it. Uh, and so there was four couples that were married at first sight. And the point that we joined the show was after they'd been doing the experiment for a couple of weeks and uh, what they did was at this point in time, you know, psychologists are there telling you this is a very pivotal time in the show. We have to bring all the couples together and they're going to share their experiences and we're going to learn from them. And uh, the first three couples came in for this uh, dining room experience together, and they were all sharing their stories. They were saying, "Hey, we're, ha- we're having such a great time. It, this relationship is going really well. We're starting to, you know, really develop uh, some strong feelings for each other." Who would have thought that between a husband and a wife who are wed, they would have had feelings for each other? But that's what they're going. And, and then this one guy rocks up, and he rocks up by himself. And Jono is his name, and Jono just rocks up, and Jono's by himself. And all the other couples are kind of, you know, not trying to make it awkward. But this is a show called Married at First Sight and it, Jono's rocking up by himself. And so after a while, you know, they're standing around talking and someone kind of says, hey, hey Jono, where's your wife? And Jono said, oh, we broke up. Uh, it, the experiment wasn't working out. It wasn't going the way that we thought it was going to go. I had really high expectations going into it. In the first couple of days, I thought everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, it just just wasn't really working out. And then later in the, in the uh, same kind of... Uh, dinner room experience, Jono's uh, wife Claire rocks up. And Claire kind of comes along and Claire was sort of saying, Hey, you know I'm here for the end. I, I'm not with Jono, but we're here to have this experiment. And it was really interesting because there was some hostility in that room that night. It's, you can imagine what it's like if you're on this show, Married at First Sight, and you're the only couple out of the four where things aren't turning out the way you'd expected. And it was interesting because after you know, the, the really awkwardness of the dining room situation, they took Jono out and they took Claire out and they interviewed them separately. It was really interesting to listen to their stories because they were almost exactly identical. You know, Jono started up, he said, you know, I started this, I really had high expectations for this relationship. I know there are some things in my life that I need to change. You know, I'm hot headed, I really lock horns. I don't like to compromise. Even when I'm wrong, I don't like to compromise. You know I, I don't, you know, I don't mesh well. That's why my past relationships had failed, but I thought for some, for some reason that this one would work. And then he, he said, I actually really like Claire. I really want this to work. I just don't know how to change. I don't know how to fix this situation so that I can make it work. And then Claire gets interviewed as well. And Claire goes, yeah, I really like Jono. I really like Jono. And, and Jono frustrates me, but he frustrates me because I see so much of myself in him. I'm pig-headed, I don't like to compromise. I know that if I just said sorry or if I just changed my tone that we wouldn't even have any of these arguments. I had such high hopes when I walked into this experiment that I would meet this man that I would fall in love with. I really like Jono, but I just can't change these things about myself. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow. Like if you would just communicated that to each other instead of like the national public, like maybe your relationship would have had a chance. And if you're joining us for the first time this week, we're we're at a juncture, we're in part four of a four-part series that we're doing called Guess Who. And and the subtitle for our series is Knowing Who You Are and Growing into Who You Want to Become. And the first two weeks, if you missed part one and two, you should jump onto our SoundCloud and give that a listen. Um, That is all talking about, we spent two weeks talking about how to know who you are, how to find what you put your identity in, how to find where you place your identity, And then in weeks three on to six, we're talking about how to grow into the person that you want to become. And the reason we're spending four weeks, an entire month on this, talking about ways you can grow into the person that you want to become is because so many of us struggle with it. So many of us, like Jono and Claire, have these expectations when we step into relationships or we know what it is we want to do, but then in reality, something goes wrong. Something doesn't turn out the way that we wanted it to turn out and we sit there and we're stuck at the end of the day saying, I know what it is I need to change. I know what it is I need to do. I just don't know how to do it. And this is, this is something I've just observed and you can take this John and Claire example. John and Claire both know what they need to do. They just don't know how they need to do it. And a lot of us make the mistake in our lives and we think, you know, I know the person I want to become. I know where my identity is placed. A lot of us make this, uh, uh, this wrong assumption and we expect that, when we, uh, that once we know what we need to do, it will automatically mean that we'll know how to do it. Once we, know what that we, uh, once we know what we need to do, it automatically means that we know how to do it. And you and I know that in reality, this is just not the case. I mean, if you've ever gone into a bookstore and seen the wall of self-help books, have you ever thought what a contradiction self-help books are? Self-help books are one of the biggest, like, that they're growing as an industry. If they're helping people, shouldn't the books be shrinking? Like, if, if self-help books are really helping people to help themselves, then surely the industry should eventually get to a point where it dies. But just because people know what they need to do, they pick the self-help book, they read it, okay, oh, this is awesome, this is what I need to do. They have such a hard time knowing how to do it. And this is not like some deep revelation, you know, you know this, I know this. There are people uh, in your life that you know that struggle with this and, and you might be one of them in a certain area of your life. There are people who just because they know they need to get debt free, doesn't mean they are debt free. They don't know how to go about it. There are some people who really struggle with their marriage. I know I need to fix certain areas of my marriage or my relationship, but I don't know how to go about it. I know I need to get fit. You know, the doctor told me that you know, I've, my cholesterol's high, that I, I'm at increased risk of a heart attack. I just don't know how to go about it. I know what I need to do. I just don't know how to go about it. And tonight we're going to look at this tension, the, the tension that so many of us know what we need to do. We just don't know how to go about it. And maybe you've never ever thought about this maybe for you in the back of your mind, you're always like, yeah, right. Okay. Like I know the thing that I need to fix. It's just not that big of a deal. And you've been putting it on the back burner. You're kind of like, the things I've got to fix are only little things. They're not, they're not big things. And and what I want to talk about tonight is how the way we look at things can set up the path and the trajectory that our identities take. Uh, I'm a little bit of a nerd, and uh, I really love documentaries. Uh, not, not love documentaries, but there's certain types of documentaries I get really into. Um, on Netflix, there's these, these sporting documentaries I really like, and there's this one particular documentary uh, that, that I watched called Bigger, Faster, Stronger uh, by a director, and it was all about steroid abuse. And this, uh, this other, uh, this same director just re- recently, re- recently released a, a new documentary uh, called Prescription Thugs. And within this documentary, he talks about the battle that he uh, and, and family members are having with these prescription drugs. And it really hit home as during this documentary that he's filming on, you know, the dangers of prescription drugs, he recounts his brother's tragic death through prescription drugs. But then he goes on partway through the documentary to say, you know what, I feel like a fraud, I need to tell everyone that the whole time that I'm making this documentary, the whole time that I'm outlining the, the, the pressures and, and the, the, where you can fall into by doing prescription drugs, he said, I was on prescription drugs myself. I'm going to congressmen petitioning them to get prescription drugs taken off Craigslist and I'm telling the congressman, oh, you know, you know, you can buy these prescription drugs online. I know it because I used to do it years ago. And he's saying, I know it because I'm doing it right now. And so he said, you know, I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't know how to do it. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're not, you know, you're not dealing with a prescription drug habit, or maybe you are, but maybe there's something in your life that is wrapped up in your identity. And you go, I know the person I want to grow into. I just don't know how to go about it. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a a particular book in the New Testament part of the Bible called Ephesians. And if you're not a a church person, Ephesians is actually a letter that was written to a church at a city called Ephesus. And it was written by a man named Paul. And Paul writes a lot of letters to a lot of different churches. uh, And and these letters make up the majority of what we know as the New Testament or what... uh, Christians call the New Testament. That's the, the second part of the Bible, is the Old Testament and the New Testament part of the Bible. And Paul's writing uh, this, this letter to this city in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a particularly interesting city because it, it is it's at the juncture of a number of trade routes that run through that area. In fact, you can actually still go and visit Ephesus today. Uh, it's, in modern, it's found in modern-day Turkey. And so because Ephesus was this cultural hub that was located at the intersection of all these major trade routes, there was a lot of people that would be coming through that, you know, to sell whatever goods uh, they had, uh, and, and they would have a lot of different beliefs. They would have a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different ideologies, a lot of different religions, and as a result, Ephesus became a very pagan culture. And it was a culture that just kind of, you borrowed some idea from one person's, philosophy, oh, I like this, I borrow this from one idea. And you could hold conflicting, you know, viewpoints about the world, but that was okay because everyone was doing it. And Paul writes this letter to this church in Ephesus and he wants to explain to them that when you become a follower of Jesus, there's things in your life that need to change. In other words, if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, you no longer identify yourself as someone who follows one of these pagan religions that was in this melting pot of Ephesus. And Paul, in the first two chapters of this book, explains to them how they can begin to know who they are in Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that, but I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Well, that's okay, because in the next four chapters, Paul begins to unpack ways that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, some practical ways that you can begin to grow into the person that you say you are. And if you're a follower of Jesus, these are really important things that Paul talks about because these are ways that you can grow into that relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to pick this letter uh, up in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and Paul is addressing this very tension that the Ephesians, the Ephesian people know who they are, but they don't know uh, how to go about growing into who they want to become. And so Paul writes this to them. He says, therefore, I a prisoner for serving the Lord. Uh, Paul was actually in jail when he was writing this letter. Uh, And so Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus from jail. And he says, I beg you. And this is important. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. He says, once you've determined what your calling is, and Paul's He's writing this to Christians. So he says, for those of you who have followed Jesus, you've already determined what your calling is. Now you need to live a life worthy of that calling. And what he's really saying here is your life needs to begin to reflect your priorities about who you say that you are. So once you've learned to to place your identity in Jesus, then your life needs to reflect and your priorities need to reflect the change in where your identity is placed. He, He goes on and he says, make every effort, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Right at the end there, that phrase, glorious hope. Uh, some scholars and, and commentators actually translate that word hope uh, better as expectation. You read, just as you have been called to one glorious expectation of your future. Just like we saw at the start with John and Claire, so many of it's our expectations for the future don't match up with our reality of the future. And Paul, what he's saying here is that the problem for a lot of us, the problem that the reasons that our glorious expectations don't ever end up matching up with our future is because what we prioritize doesn't match our expectations of our future selves. Paul's saying you have this expectation for the future, but yet what you prioritise in your life right now does not reflect your expectation for the future. In other words, you know, New Year's just been a couple of months ago, it seems like an eternity ago, but all the fitness people who got on the bandwagon, you know, oh you know, we expect to get fit. Yet the only thing that changes is that they bought a gym membership. They do not actually use the gym. Their priorities didn't change. And four months in, you know, maybe some people are still going, but the majority of people have thrown it all away because their life doesn't reflect the new priorities that they say they have. And sure, maybe for some of us, there might be a period of time where, where, where we, we think and we fool ourselves into saying we've prioritized something. You know, we, we study really hard for three days right before that exam. Oh, I prioritize studying for that exam for three days or maybe, maybe our priorities change for a couple of weeks or maybe they pr- change for a season but they don't ever actually become integrated into our life and so we can never actually say their priorities because they're not integrated into who we are on a week on a day to day on a week to week on a month to month on a year to year basis and yet we look back and we say Oh, I kind of prioritise it for a week here or I prioritise whatever it is I needed to do for a couple of days here or, or a month here why isn't it working? And it's because our life overall doesn't reflect the calling that we say we've been called to. Now, if you're in that position, if you're in that situation, the people at Ephesus were struggling with that too. And Paul knows they were struggling with this, so Paul goes on. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. And this is his his practical application for how you can begin to figure out uh, and move towards who it is you want to grow into in your identity. He says, live no longer as the pagans do, for they are hopeless, or sorry, as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Now, remember the culture that Ephesus was in. This was a melting pot for religions. It was a highly pagan culture. And Paul's saying, "Now, now that you're followers of Jesus, your priorities have to change. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, whatever it is that your identity is in, your priorities have to change. And Paul's not having a, a, real, a massive jab at the Gentiles. Here. He's saying they're hopelessly confused because they're focusing on a different goal. In other words, if you want to become debt-free, yet all you do is spend money, you're focusing on a different goal than what you want to achieve. If you really want to do well at u- university or you really want to do well at school yet you don't study, then your priorities reflect a different goal. You're hopelessly confused. If you really want to work on your marriage or that relationship, or maybe you've got that that issue, that character trait that you just really struggle to wrestle with, yet you don't do anything about it, your priorities reflect a different goal. And Paul goes, don't be like those people. Don't be like the Gentiles. Because they have a different goal to you. In terms of religious structures, they are hopelessly confused. And then he goes on and he says something. That if you if you've never been in church circles, and maybe this is your first time, you're going to be like, "Ooh, that's a that's a bit harsh." But, but I'll read it first, and then I'll explain it. If Paul goes on, he says, "Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the lives uh, from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every." Kind of impurity. Now you've got to remember, first of all, who Paul's writing to. He's writing to Christians, and he's writing in a pagan culture that was highly sexualized. You could, there were temple prostitutes within this pagan society. It was kind of a do whatever you want as long as it makes you feel good society. So Paul is trying to draw the stark contrast here between what what followers of Jesus do and what the people within that culture do. And Paul makes this definition, uh, this analogy in those two words. He says, you see the Gentiles, they live for lustful pleasures and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. You can see that in the way they live their lives, the way they go about their worship, the way that it's all about the senses, it's all about pleasure. Paul says, you need to live for and you need to be known and living by who your identity is in Christ. And that's going to mean that you need to prioritize um, some other things and what Paul is really stripping away if, if maybe for you you've been zoning out or maybe for you uh, uh, you've kind of lost a little bit of focus this is the main point if you take nothing else away if you take nothing else away from tonight this is the one point I want you to take away that what you prioritize will pave the way to your identity what you prioritize will pave the way to your identity When Paul says this when he's writing to the Ephesians, he's saying they live for their lustful pleasures and their desires. In other words, that's what they prioritize. That's what they're known for. That's what when from the outside you look in, that's what we believe they're called to. But when people look in from the outside for you, your priorities need to be different because you have a higher calling in your life. And for so many of us who are in this position, that we, we know we need to prioritize, uh, that our priorities will pave the way to our identity. But for some of us, we're just too stubborn to change. And if, you, if you're in this boat, here's a catchphrase that you know, if you're kind of like, oh, I know there's things I need to change, but, but I'm just not ready yet. This is the catchphrase. It's, I know I need to, but. I know I need to, but. If you've got some priorities going on in your life that, that you're not, that you, you uh, are wrestling with and you kind of think they're not too, too much of a big deal, maybe you don't, think you're wrestling with uh, as big of a priority that you need to change as someone else, the key to figuring out whether you have some priorities that need to shift are when you use that phrase, I know I need to, but. work is so busy, you know, I know I need to cut back, but. You know, I I know I need to find time to work on my relationship. I know I need to find time to, to take my wife out on a date or take my husband out on a date or have a quality conversation. I know I need to, but. I know that I need to really spend some time with my parents. I really need to develop that. I know I need to, but I really should, if I'm a follower of Jesus, spend time with Jesus, right? I should pray. I should read my book. I know I need to, but I should join a connect group. I know I need to, but, and we always make this excuse for ourselves. And this is particularly for followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus here. I'm speaking directly to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can have a free pass on this one. For so many of us who are followers of Jesus, in our work life and in our professional life and in our relationships, we will do whatever it takes to hit those key performance indicators. We will do whatever it takes to make our boss happy. We will do whatever it takes to go above and beyond. Yet when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we say, oh, no, I need to. I know I need to, but I don't prioritize Jesus in our life. And then we look back as Christians and we say, why don't I have this sense of desire with God? Why don't I feel intimacy with God? And it's because our priorities haven't paved the way to where our identity is found. If you want to pave the way to where your identity is found, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, you need to look back across your life and you need to figure out where it is you're spending the majority of your time. And Paul, he's writing to Christians who are struggling with this and and he goes on, he says, but this isn't what you learned about Jesus. You didn't learn that Jesus sat up in heaven and he looked down and and he knew that there was something not right with humanity. He knew that they were suffering from sin and Jesus didn't look down and Jesus didn't say, ah, I know I need to go and die on the cross for him, but I'll just do it next millennium. There's plenty of time left. I know I need to, but... Paul you didn't learn that about Jesus, did you? No, you learn about a God who intervened in history for you. A God who came down, who experienced the same hurts that you experienced, who hung on a cross and died for himself. A God who prioritized saving you and prioritized a relationship with you. And Paul's saying, to him, you didn't learn that Jesus was up in heaven and said, I know I need to, but you learn about a different Jesus. He so didn't learn about this Jesus. He said, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So in other words, if you want to begin to lean towards your priorities, you need to stop doing the things that you used to do. You need to reset your mind. You need to, to change the way that you think about the world and you need to lean into where your identity is placed. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, I, I get that, but how do I do that? And this is what Paul gives them. This is what Paul gives them as that pivotal thing. This is how you can begin to grow. This is not the, the, this is not the secret pathway. This is not the seven steps. This is how you can begin the process of growing into the person where your identity is found. And it says, Paul says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let it renew your thoughts and your attitudes. In other words, if you want your priorities to pave the way for a place that you actually want to end up, you need to ask yourself a a, a tough question. You need to ask yourself, this is a question you can ask yourself. Will my current thoughts and attitudes lead me to grow into the person who reflects where I say my identity lies? My current thoughts and attitudes lead me to grow into the person who reflects where I say my identity lies. There are so many people out there who want to put a label on what they are, want to put a label on what they do. Yet their thoughts and their attitudes and the way they go about living their lives doesn't reflect who they say that they are. And the reason that we've been talking about this whole idea of priorities is because where you spend your time shows the kind of path that you're beginning to pave. Where you dedicate your time, what you're willing to put down as time, shows the kind of path that you're willing to, to, to pave. And this is what, this, this might uh, kind of, some people might push back against this, but, but this is um, one thought that I came up with uh, as I was thinking about this and preparing for this message. And this is the idea that what's on your ca- calendar says more about your priorities than it does about what you've got to do. What's on your calendar says more about your priorities than it does about what you've got to do. If you want to know what your priorities are and what kind of path your priorities are paving, the first place to go is to look at your calendar. Because for so many of us, we look at our calendar and we say, I've got all these things to do. Look at how busy I am. I've just got such a stressful job. I've got to-do lists everywhere. My calendar's booked from nine to five. What that tells people is if there's no time for your family in there, you don't prioritize them might be busy but you don't prioritize them if there's no time in there for the people that you say you care about then you don't prioritize those relationships if there's no time in there for you to be able to rest and recover then you don't really prioritize your well-being that much you prioritize other people and and meeting someone else's needs over meeting your own what is on your calendar says more about what you prioritize than it does about what you've got to do and we have this thing at Beyond called Full Monday because we believe whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you come to church, that it should be helpful for the rest of the week. And so what I want to do this week is to give you a challenge to help you find out where your priorities are. Because once you actually visually see where it is you're spending your time, it's a lot easier to begin to see how you can grow into, where, into the person that you want to become because you can begin to see what you need to eliminate. So my challenge for this week, my full Monday for this week is, it's going to be a little tedious. And I say it's going to be a little tedious because I've done it before and it is a little tedious. And there's going to be a tendency to to push back and say, oh, that's going to require a lot from me. And I would say that it will require something of you for these seven days. But the chance you want to spend these seven days now doing this little tedious thing, then you do want to spend it seven years down the track. And the, the full Monday for this week is to actually begin to log how you spend your time. Every hour of every day, on the hour, stop and make a little note of where you spend your time. For some of us, that's gonna be scary. If you spend your time on your phone in the first 15 minutes when you wake up or the first half an hour, log it. First half an hour of the day, six o'clock, seven o'clock, 10 o'clock, if I'm in uni maybe. um, I spent my time on my phone. The next half hour of the day, oh, I spent it sitting around two hours, sitting around watching the television. If you do that for a week or two weeks, you'll be able to look back on your week and you'll be able to figure out where it is your priorities lie. And for some of you, that's going to be a really scary thing to do. You're going to find out that you have some priorities that you didn't even know you had. Facebook and YouTube are going to be right up there, and you didn't even know that you were that into them. It's kind of scary. Maybe for some of you, you know, like reading the paper, reading the books, that's going to be a massive priority for you. You didn't realize that. But then you need to ask yourself this question. At the end of that, once you've tracked everything for that full Monday, once you've tracked it for the week, then you ask yourself this question. Am I living my life in a way that leads towards where I say my identity is found? Once you've tracked it, once you've looked at where you're actually spending your time, not where you think you're spending your time, there's a tendency with some of us to say, oh, I know where I think I'm spending my time. I don't really need to actually log it. I don't need to put it down on paper. No, you do need to put it down on paper because if you're not growing into the person who you want to become, it's because your reality doesn't meet your expectations. It's because you need to actually physically jot it down. You need to see where you're spending and where you're prioritizing your time. And then you need to ask yourself, are you living in a way that leads towards where you say your identity is found? And this is the how. Then you can begin to go and block out those things where you say, you know what? Three hours in one day on on TV or on YouTube or on the internet scrolling around, I can get rid of that and I can put something that I actually want to prioritize in my life that will lead me to grow into the person that I want to become. And chances are, chances are there are oh, some of you who are going to sit there and go i don't need to do that what do i need to bother to do that and i i, I get it maybe you're going along in life and you go i oh, know i'm i don't even really need this whole series i don't really need this whole identity thing and that's okay but when you get to a point in your life because we all get there where you kind of say how did i end up here what brought me to this point in what brought me to this juncture in my life this is when you're going to want to use that And this is when you're gonna wanna begin to jot down all the times that you spent in your life and you you can actually begin to look back and see where your priorities are. And this week, I wanna challenge you to begin to project and see the future that you could have for yourself if you began to prioritize the things that would pave the way to where your identity is found. This is your opportunity to begin to grow into the person that you wanna become. For those of you who your identity is found in Christ and you say that and you claim that and you know that, this is your opportunity to begin to prioritize that. Don't put it off another week. Don't put it off another month. Don't wait a year down the track. Prioritize it this week. Log your time and begin to see what kind of path your priorities are paving the way for you to end up at. We're going to invite the band back up and we're going to pray right now. Lord, for so many of us, we, we think we know where our priorities are. So many of us just assume, oh, yeah, this is where my priorities are. This is where they're leading me. Yet yet our expectations don't match up with our reality. We struggle and we, and we, we beat our heads against the wall and we say, Lord, why is nothing happening? Lord, all of us have misplaced priorities. Every single one of us. No one here is perfect. None of us lead the perfect life. So Father, I pray that each and every one of us would take this opportunity this week to look at where we put our priorities and to begin to see what kind of path we're paving a way for. Because there are those of us here who follow you and there are those of us, Lord, who want to pave a path to intimacy with you, to pave a way to that deeper relationship with our Saviour. So Father, I pray that Uh, there would be people here tonight who would begin to change their lives. They would begin to prioritise the things that really pave the way for where their identity is
1: found. we
0: pray these things in your son's mighty name. Amen.